Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. I think every time you say the title of the reading plan, you say together. Together. Uh, in that same way. Anyways. You know, it's just um, a way to differentiate it. I love it. And if you're listening with us, I'm so glad you're taking time to, to hear us banter back and forth about uh, the Bible. Uh, we do love to take time to answer questions as much as we can week over week. Uh, and so if you're listening along and you've got questions that come to mind, or or maybe just even as you're reading through the plan, or maybe it's just something that it, it's, it's just come to mind. Oftentimes it doesn't even relate to the what we're reading through uh, initially, we would still love to take those questions. And so I just want to encourage you, send us those questions. The way that you can do it is twofold. One, you can shoot us an email uh, to the address info at grove.church. Uh, make sure to put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question. Uh, or the other way you can do it is shoot us a direct message on our Grove Church Facebook Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, so you can feel free to DM us there. Because uh, like I said, we love to take time to answer those questions. All right. Well, this week... Dear listeners, we are finishing up the book of Numbers, which means... And we're getting to some good narrative, which is really good. That's true. There's only there's only one passage that's kind of hard to read in this whole thing, and the rest of it's pretty much stories. So it's a good it's a good deal. Uh, but we'll get to we'll get to that here. Patience. All right. Numbers 22. We're gonna if you remember, we read this actually yesterday, but you know, I wanted to save all of Balaam for this week because it felt it felt weird. <laughs> to start, but not, you know what I mean? Not finish the guy's yep. story. So in Numbers 22, we are introduced to one of the most unique characters in the whole Bible. And this is Balaam. Um, after Israel sets up camp in Moab, the king, Balak, or Balak, I don't know how you pronounce him, but... I get these two confused all the time when I'm reading. So I always have to remember Balaam is the donkey guy. That helps me to dif- differentiate. Well, spoilers. All right. Well, Balak sends a messenger to Balaam asking him to curse the people of Israel. So, you know, he's like, what? This camp, not digging it. He's got some real Pharaoh energy of, I don't like all these guys kind of camped out here. Balaam, I need you to go curse these people. And so Balaam, we don't know exactly what he is. It's weird because he he calls God by name. So he calls God Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Um, So he has some sort of familiarity there. Um, But as we'll see, Balaam is not exactly an upstanding citizen and not exactly on God's good side either. He's a prophet for hire. Yeah. So, but there is some type of spiritual thing that he does. Who knows? So anyway, uh, Balaam, he consults God on this. So he's like, okay, I'm being asked to go curse the people of Israel. He's like, hey, God, what do you think about this? Um, And then God's like, no, what are you talking about? You're not going to do that. And so Balaam's like, hey, Balak, sorry, can't do. And so Balak sends out basically more messengers and they're kind of higher ups. And they're like, hey, we need you to do this. And so Balaam goes back to God and he's like, hey, man, this guy's here too. Like, this is crazy. And so God's like, all right, fine, you can go, but don't say anything that I don't tell you to say. And so Balaam goes. Um, can, can we just like stop for a second? Like this, the craziest thing about this whole thing, God is having a conversation with someone who's not a, like his people and a follower. Right. Like that will do, like he, God is literally having a conversation with some dude who's a prophet for hire <laughs> and and talking to him. Like yeah. this is a ridiculous thing. Like, well, I, I think one one of the mistakes that we make when we read the Old Testament, is we think that the only people who worshipped Yahweh and knew him were the Israelites. So this isn't true because we have, you know, there's Jethro, mm-hmm. uh, Melchizedek, there's Job, um, who we're going to get to in a few weeks. Oh, he, Evan is so excited, you have no idea. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of 
examples of characters in the Old Testament who are not part of Israel, but they still know who God is. Um, Balaam, I, I, I also wouldn't put him there because he's like, he, oh, well, sorry, we'll see, listeners. Let's just let's take a look at how the story of Balaam goes. Um, so God gives Balaam permission to go, but he's really mad that he left. Which I also love this, where there is there is this kind of idea of. God is giving him like, hey, yeah, look, I'm not going to like, you. if you want to go, you can go. But at the same time, God's permission is not necessarily saying this is the right thing to do. So Balaam makes the wrong choice. Yeah. His permission does not mean blessing. Yeah. It's not saying, God, yeah, go. It's fine. You want to go? Go. I like yeah. that. I almost feel like it's like a, a marital dispute at times. Like, hey, the guys want to go. Are you okay? Well, no, I thought, I thought we were going to be home. Yeah, but the, the guys are in town and then... Okay, fine. If you want to go, you can go. Yeah. And then and then you go and then your spouse I've never experienced this, praise God, but your spouse is mad at you because you go. Anytime so, the word fine is used, yeah, it's fine. not it's not real. Okay, permission. fine. So anyways, yeah, his he he said yes, you can go, but there was no blessing to do it. Yeah. So I like that. God's blessing God's permission is not necessarily his blessing. So there you go. All right. Dude, you can tweet that. It reminds me well, it reminds Take me. Take credit of, for it, listener. I don't need it. I don't need the credit. This is a bit of a rabbit trail, but it reminds me of the uh Jesus is talking about the divorce laws in Moses, where God gave his permission. To, for the people of Israel to divorce their wives, but it definitely wasn't his blessing. He's saying it's because of your hardness of heart. So an interesting theme that you have uncovered here. Um, so anyways, God is angry that Balaam left and then we get the whole donkey. The whole, I just put the whole donkey situation. Um, if you don't know the story, I'll let you read it. It's really yeah. cool. And if this is the first time you're listening to it, I would love your thoughts because it's a, it's a brilliant passage. Yep. Basically, Balaam riding his donkey, he's going to curse or not curse. He's going to go say whatever God would say to the people of Israel. His donkey stops. He starts beating the crap out of it. And then all of a sudden it starts to talk to him, which I mean. Okay. Yeah, this happened several times. Well, this happened several times, right? And man, yeah, it's just, it's a remarkable thing. Um, the, the donkey turns its head and starts talking to him. And then he has an encounter with an angel of the Lord. So basically the donkey saves his life there. It's a whole thing. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, but when all that is resolved, Balaam blesses Israel instead of cursing them. And then in chapters 23 through 24, we see it's kind of this, it's poetic oracles, I guess you could call them. They read similarly to the prophetic books. If you... Uh, if you kind of flip over to the, especially like the minor prophets, mm-hmm. you, when you look at them, you'll say like, oh, this is kind of like a similar structure. That's what Balaam is doing here. Um, and it just keeps happening. Like there's not just one blessing that he gives over the people. It keeps going back and forth. Balak, of course, not really happy about this. So in verse 10 of Numbers 20, I should have written down the chapter. I think it's 23. Uh, it says, and Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and behold, you have blessed them these three times. So, I mean, hey, I'm I'm paying for curses, man. And now I'm getting blessings. What a, come on, Balaam. Uh, Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So Balaam's basically <laughs> like, look, man, I'm not I'm not going against Yahweh. <laughs> like, if you want to, that's fine. I'm not doing it. And smart, so, Balaam, smart. Yeah, well, yeah, smart for sorry. No spoilers, listeners. Let's see what let's see what else happens with little Balaam. 
We'll we'll pick him up later on in today's podcast. I love it. Uh, but after this, so he he delivers one final oracle, and then him and Balak leave. All right, so there we go. That's the end of story of the story of Balaam for now. After this, in chapter twenty-five, we get one final massive fail, failure of the older generation of Israel. So remember the book of Numbers, it's not divided in half because the second half is much shorter, but there's the first census or the first number of numbering of numbers. And that's kind of dealing with the older generation. And then we get a second census of the next generation. That's kind of the second half. So this is the final, um, I don't know, the dead cat bounce, I suppose you could say of the failures of the older generation. And then we'll see more. Um, so, they begin to worship Baal, which if you don't know who Baal is, boy, listener, as we go through the Old Testament, you're going to get to know who Baal is. He is a false god, um, worshipped most commonly in the land of Canaan. And for whatever reason, the people of Israel have a real crush on this guy. Yeah. So they just... His his idols must look really good. They love Baal. So, and, I mean, and granted, Baal, really bad. You should never worship anything above Yahweh. In his defense doesn't demand child sacrifice. So like, so there is that. He's no Molech. He's no Molech. Molech is the, is the worst, but we'll get to Molech later. Listen, we used to do like the Kings of Israel rankings, like good, bad, or great, good, bad, just horrible. Um, pretty much we have like a, an unspoken uh, false God ranking and Molech is like the just worst. Yeah. He's just the worst. Both, so. both terrible sins of honoring anything above God but at least one doesn't have you kill your kids. So anyway. Oh, so bad. So they begin to worship Baal, and then they also begin to intermingle with the Moabites. Um, I did put intermarry first, but it actually isn't necessarily directly said that. It's more said, it's, I think the direct quote is have relations with them. So it's not even, they're not even getting married. Come on, Israelites. Um, and so a massive plague is sent that would end up killing 24,000 people. And I put only stopping when Eleazar, the high priest, goes ham on a guy who defied the order not to marry foreign women. So there's... What do you mean by goes ham on a guy? So I did, I, I never read this story before. So Eleazar is one of the sons of Aaron. So he's the high priest yes. now. And then his son is Phineas, which is also a great name. Uh, but one of and his the, other son is named Herb. Just kidding. Uh, one of the, I guess, princes, I don't know, the son of one of the chieftains of a tribe of Israel was like, hey, I married this Moabite woman. Baal worship is awesome. Let's just do this thing. And Eleazar grabs a spear and goes to their tent and just kills them. And then it says- Got it. And, it's, and then it says, literally, this ended the anger of the Lord. And then the plague stops. So there you go. So Eleazar- that's just the weirdest phrase in all the world. Goes ham. Goes ham. Time. Yeah, he just decided. To, yeah, he went. He went bananas. He went for it. So there you go. That's the final. That's the final story that we get about that older generation. I mean, I guess there are still some stragglers because Moses isn't dead or anything. Yeah, but not that's, yet. That's kind of not yet. Yeah. Spoilers. Moses <laughs> dies at some point in the Bible. Um, anyway, so in chapter twenty-six, this is where we get our second numbering. So this is a new generation. And at the end of the census, where so it gives you kind of all the names of these are the new generations. These are the people who have risen to leadership after the death of their fathers. It's, it's kind of, it's giving you the picture of the stories that we're going to see at the end of Numbers, Deuteronomy, and in Joshua. These are the people who are in, that, in those yeah. stories. And then at the very end, we're reminded that there's two exceptions, right? It's Caleb, the son of Japuna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So those are our two guys. Yep. And if you remember from last week, they're the guys that went... 
They spied out the land. They came back. And Caleb especially took the lead. He's like, no, guys, we can do this. And yep. then everyone else was like, no. So God was like, all right. We're like grasshoppers in, compared to them. We're so, we're so weak. What did God do? Just part the Red Sea and kill a bunch of Egyptians? Ugh. Like he's going to do that again. <laughs> hey, he does do it again. So anyway, uh, there you go. Chapter 27. This is a really – okay. There's two parts of this section of numbers that are they don't seem like they fit, but they're really interesting. So chapter 27 is an aside where a man dies and he only has daughters left. So they stand not to inherit anything because like – and this is basically any culture at the time. Uh, sons inherited, daughters did not. Mm-hmm. And so their father died and then all of their land – all of his land was going to go to his brothers. So their uncles and then they would take hold of the land and the daughters would be left with nothing, which also back then um, – it would be very hard to find husbands if you didn't have anything as, as well. So a whole big a whole big bummer. Um, they asked Moses to give them their father's inheritance instead of passing it along to their uncles. So Moses takes this to Yahweh and, and God agrees. He says, you know what? You're right. This is a good idea. So making he makes a new commandment that when a man dies with no sons, his daughters are the next in line for inheritance instead of uh, the other male heirs, which is radical for the time. Yes. Like today- Massively radical. Today, you can leave your land and property to whoever you want, right? Like I can put Steve from the grocery store and the, the people would be legally obligated to give all of that to Steve. Hey, but, you brought your groceries. My groceries are really nicely. I'm going to put you in my will. Yeah, exactly. So, but back back then, no, it's very rigid. Yeah. So God makes a way, which is really cool. Yeah. So, and I think it's, I think it's important, again- Anybody who's going to, because I always sometimes think about the like apologetics version of our side of faith, right? Where we need to have clarity for arguments against uh, scriptural and scripture context and culture at the time. Uh, this, this is this is God's kingdom that he's continuing to usher in. He's establishing a people for himself. He's setting new cultural realities. And and for for this law or this commandment to, to be established where, where the daughters get to inherit something is a big deal. Absolutely. Um, because there's so many arguments that reflect on, well, the Old Testament never valued women. Culturally, it didn't. It was speaking to a culture at the time, but but God's kingdom does value women. And and we see it even in chapter 27 of Numbers. I think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, total side, no rabbit trail, but just to reaffirm, God, well, God cares for humanity. He cares for every person because he created them. So. Nothing wrong with rabbit trails because chapter 27 kind of is a rabbit trail it's true. off the it's rest the of the It's the perfect time to have a rabbit trail. But getting back to our narrative, mm-hmm. chapter 28. So this new generation, hey, this is this is these are the guys, these are the gals, these are the ones who are going to go and take possession of the land. And so you get this reestablishment of the law. And so you get a calendar of offerings, which I thought was really interesting. So it kind of gives through, here's the offerings you make in a year. There's some personal ones, there's some corporate ones. It's a whole bunch of different things. And then there's also an instruction on how men and women are to take vows. Um, also talking about marriage. And so I'd imagine, it, I don't think it's explicitly said, but this seems to be a reaction to the whole like, hey, taking Moabite wives and stuff like that. God's like, hey, no, this is this is what we're going to do. And like, you're right, you're right. Sorry, sorry, Lord. <laughs> sorry, God. Uh, sorry, God. So that's the whole deal there. Uh, in chapter 31, we get a revenge. It's a revenge of the Mid- on the Midianites. And I do have to be careful because this confused me a ton when I was reading the Old Testament originally. The Midianites is a people group that is very broad and they're not the same. So like Jephthah, Moses' father-in-law, and Moses' wife are Midianites. Jep- no, not Jephthah. Sorry. Jethro. Jethro. Yep. Jephthah is a judge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, uh, nope. Good catch. Good catch. Jephthah is not a Midianite. He's from Gilead. Um, 
But well, spoiler, spoiler. Sorry, we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. <laughs> so Jethro's Midianites are not the same as the Moabite Midianites, which are not necessarily the same as even like the Midianites that go with, in with Gideon and yep. stuff like that. So I do want to be careful when it talks about taking revenge on the Midianites. It's not talking about Moses leading armies into his father-in-law's land and killing all of them. So, but there is an army that kills a lot of Midianites here. It's true. Uh, and then we find out, here's where we find out about Balaam, who's been a real dirtbag. In chapter 31, it's been revealed that he is the one who is who was convincing the Israelites to worship Baal back in chapter 25. Ugh. So they kill him. Uh, so that's the, that's the end of Balaam. That's why he's referenced a few other times in scripture as a whole of just kind of an example of being a duplicitous mm-hmm. person. Um, I can't remember if this is actually in the text or if it's just an, an inference, but the idea could be that he's still doing what Balak wanted him to do, but instead of cursing the people of Israel, he's trying to motivate God to curse them instead by convincing hmm. them to worship Baal, Interesting. Which, which does work because a bunch of them die in plague. Obviously, That's interesting. all of them aren't wiped out. But So, I mean, at the very least, clever guy. Yeah. But still, still a real, a real jerk, a real dirtbag that Balaam. So there you go. Uh, in chapter thirty-two, things start to get a little bit interesting. So we see. I mean, I guess the Midian thing was pretty interesting too. But we see some of the lands that will one day be the nation of Israel begin to be taken hold of. So the tribes of Reuben and Gad ask to settle in the land of Gilead. Hey, that's where Jephthah's from. What? Which is east of the Jordan River. Um, so if you remember in Joshua. I guess we won't spoil it, but something cool happens at the Jordan River when they actually go into the other part of the promised land. But they're asking to settle in the east. Essentially, they have a lot of livestock. And so they're like, dude, this land, this is great livestock land. We just want to, we want to be here. Yeah. And so um, at first Moses is hesitant because he's saying, wait, you're just going to go take this land and then we're going to go conquer. And I guess not work because Moses knows he's not going in, but your brothers. Does are he gonna, know at this point? I think, he, yeah, he's aware. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but the, your your brothers and a fellow fellow Israelites are going to go in. They're going to go to war, but you're just going to stay here. But they say, no, no, no. Like, we're going to get settled. And then when the time comes to actually invade, all of the men of the tribes of of Reuben and Gad will take up arms and we will join in the conquest. Mm-hmm. So and at, after this, uh, Yahweh permits it. Yeah. So, and they do. And they, and yep. they follow through with that. Yeah, this is not a... This is not a trick. It's they, not a Balaam thing. Yeah, they, just kidding. It's an anti-Balaam. They're being <laughs> they're being real. I don't know what the opposite of a dirtbag is, but I don't know. A clean bag. A clean. There being a real clean bag <laughs> about this. But yeah. So we'll when we get to uh, Joshua, we'll see that yeah they're part of the whole thing. So it's agreed, and they go settle that land. Uh, chapter thirty three, chapters thirty three through thirty six are kind of wrapping up the book, and they're preparing the way for the death of Moses, which again, you know, that's going to happen here. Uh, and the closing chapter of that history of the people that we see in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy really is that final book of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then after Deuteronomy, we get to Joshua, which is go take Canaan. Essentially, yep. is the is the point of that book. Uh, chapter 33 gives a recap of where Israel has been so far, so which is kind of nice. So if you've been, you know, through Exodus, it's kind of giving you the highlights really quick of where they've been. Uh, and then it gives a command that when they take the promised land, they are going to they are to drive out everyone who lives there. It is very important to God in His covenant with Israel that they are His people group. He doesn't want them intermingling. He doesn't want people who and. It, I want to be careful too, because this isn't necessarily a racial thing, because sometimes that's the lens that we look through it from. Yeah, People can become Israelites. It's much more of a faith thing. Like we look at Ruth, the story of Ruth, for instance, where she is actually a Moabite woman, um, and it's not sin 
that Boaz marries her because she becomes an Israelite, because she yeah. worships Yahweh. The and sin, it's a very significant moment there too. Yeah. This we'll get to when we read that one. Yeah. The sin is really the intermingling with people who don't worship Yahweh, because as we'll see, it's a real problem for the people of Israel worshiping other gods. So, but for their entire history. Yeah. I was about to say we'll get to that, but I mean, honestly, we're in it. yeah, we're in it. And that's going to be pretty much until really until they return from the exile that they start to realize, like, hey, maybe. Maybe just Yahweh, <laughs> maybe just the one God. Maybe maybe we could do this right. Anyways. Oh man. So anyways, that's their command. In chapters 33, sorry, 34 through 35, they lay out the boundaries of the tribes as well as uh, who is going to lead them. So it's kind of, it's really interesting. It's hard to get a mental picture from that if you're not really familiar with Israel, but check out your maps. Um, if you got a study Bible, they're fun to look at. So basically God is saying, here's where every tribe is going to fit in. Uh, and then the Levites who remember they don't have a land inheritance, their inheritance is the priesthood. So the other tribes are getting plots of land in what will become Israel, the nation of Israel. The Levites are getting the priesthood, but they get certain cities. So they're saying, hey, you can live in this town. So that's yeah. the whole thing there. Um, there are also cities of refuge, which is interesting, but they're established for those seeking asylum from lesser crimes. So basically the, the example given is if you commit manslaughter. So you kill someone, you don't mean to, but you know they're their family's probably going to be out for revenge. You can leave to a city of refuge and be taken in. So it's not for like murderers who are trying to escape things, but it's from people who are committing crimes where they just need refuge from that sort of thing. Yeah. So kind of a cool, an outlet of grace that God gives there. Uh, finally, in chapter 36, who comes back? Those same daughters from chapter 27. It's just so, uh, it's so weird to me that it's just like, it's a weird, and also, uh, well, sorry, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So chapter 36 uh, we get back to those same daughters from 27. And now the question arises if they should marry men from another tribe. So these are, remember, they're all single at in 26, 20, sorry, 27. And so they're saying, well, when we marry, our father's lands would go to another tribe and then they wouldn't be in the name of our father anymore. It would go over to other tribes. And so, because you know, basically the the new family would take hold of all the things. Mm -hmm. So if, they, if they're in the, they don't say what tribe they're in, I don't think. They probably do. I just didn't write it down. But if they're in the tribe of Benjamin, let's say, and they marry someone from the tribe of Asher, all of a sudden Asher gets more land instead of Benjamin. So what should happen? Would it stay in the tribe of the father or transfer to a new tribe? A new command is given that land should not transfer from, to, from tribe to tribe in marriage. So basically, hey, if you marry out of the tribe, the land that you inherited stays with your original tribe. It doesn't transfer over to a new tribe. And then to avoid, you know, just because this is a little bit confusing, uh, they all marry their cousins instead. And that's how the book ends. It's, Literally. That's, that's, that's it. That's, that's, it goes like, and then they married their, I mean, it doesn't say cousins. It says they married like the sons of their father's brothers. So cousins. Uh, and then it, and then it says, that's concludes basically, that's the end of the book. And then, all right, numbers. That's it. Yeah. You put, can put a bow on that one. You can really tell that numbers is meant to be read with Deuteronomy and Exodus. Like it's not supposed to be just kind of on its own as a whole thing. So but yeah. yeah you, I mean, and you can see that with all of the, the actually the Pentateuch because it's, it's meant to build uh, systematically on each other. Uh, so you see the entire, you know, Old Testament uh, history of the Israelite people before we get into, you know, Joshua, the land of Canaan and things like that. So, uh, but yeah. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the end of it. That's funny. I, I just, I just, that was one of my favorite things that just, that's where it ends. Cause some books of the Bible end really weird. I'm thinking of 
Is it Nehemiah that ends with him like yelling at the Israelites and then it's just over? Or maybe I think it might be Ezra. Ezra? It's one one of those two. Yeah. So it's one of those similar endings there. Uh, So we're going to get into some Proverbs highlights really quick. But before we do, just a reminder that if uh, if you could leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast app you're listening on, that'd be really swell. It just helps get the podcast out there to more people. And we really do appreciate it. And if, if you leave us a written one, we'll read it on the air. So... Just because, you know, that's the, kind of, that's the kind of guys we are. Yeah. And if you don't want us reading it on the air, too bad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but leave us one anyways. Again, it's, it's algorithm-based. It helps us continue to grow this, uh, this, this community of believers and listeners reading the Bible together. Uh, and I just want to quickly say, like, there was a couple conversations I got into this last weekend um, that they just pulled me aside in our lobby and just said, hey, I've really enjoyed the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, and I love that. And I appreciate uh, that the podcast has been such a, a big deal. I know um, that that it's just been fun for Evan. And I think I told him this last week, like we, we just seem to be gaining more and more traction with this community of people. And so um, thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for continuing mm-hmm. to listen to us. Uh, so we are also going to be reading another chunk of Proverbs. Um, and, and I appreciate uh, Heather, our lead pastor's wife, uh, giving us a shout out this last Sunday in our, in our and her message is she spoke in one of our in our gatherings this week, um, and she referenced a word that I used when we first talked about Proverbs, uh, where I, I used the word hiccupy. Uh, I stand by that phrase. Proverbs a is phrase. a hiccupy, hiccupy book. And so, uh, Heather, thanks for the shout out. But uh, it's not going to change much as we read through Proverbs this week. And so, uh, just like we've done over the last couple of weeks, just going to take some moments and just highlight a Proverbs um, out of a proverb out of this book um, and and just kind of share a few thoughts that I thought were fun with it. So um, we're going to start in Proverbs 20 this week and then go all the way through 26. And so here's a few of them out of Proverbs 20. Here's verse five. Uh, it says the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. There's two things I loved about this proverb. One, uh, it just reveals that men are not as simple as we like to pretend to be. Uh, and that we are are very deep waters, and so I think that's a really big thing to be reminded of. So um, complicated. Yes, we are. We are complex beings. No, uh, but I also thought like a man of understanding would draw it out. There, there is something to be said about um, community and intentionality. But I love the fact that it just reveals um, that we're we're not just we're not just instinct driven. Uh, there is a lot going on under the surface, even though we don't like to talk about it. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have to draw it out, and I think it's important. Um, Proverbs 22, uh, verse 28, apparently I skipped 21. I apologize. Oh my God. Um, but it says this, it says, do not, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. That's it. It's good advice. <laughs> uh, and the whole, I mean, the whole idea, it's funny because I, I do think it's important in Proverbs to remember things are not going to translate directly to us today as far as context or as far as understanding. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have an ancient landmark boundary stone in my yard. Um, but the whole idea is that the principle is still true. Like don't steal other people's property. Um, well, like, go ahead. Sorry, there's a few things this makes me think of. Um, one, to get to um, our lead pastor's house, I have no idea what street he lives on, but I know there's a little doghouse type thing. <laughs> yep. That's right. Yeah. So, I, if if someone moved that, I would immediately drive past the road to get to their house, and I would get to the den, and, and then I have to turn around and think, like, oh, oh, shoot, where was I supposed? It's to like go? a little lean-to, by the way. It's it's like an A-frame little house. It's not a doghouse. I, so. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a little it's a little mini guy. Yeah. So. Um, but also, it reminds me of I think it's is it I think it's Chesterton who has a story or basically an idea where it says like, hey, if you walk into a field and you see a fence just in the middle of the field, before you tear it down, figure out what it's there for. Yeah, why is it there? <laughs> yeah, and so I think this is part of like what's saying too. It's like, hey, before we just go because something should be torn down. Like again, we talk in the Bible. There's going to be a lot of people who say like, hey, those model those models um, those altars to idols. 
we're taking those down. Um, so sometimes there is a reason to take things down, yes. but it's always taking a moment to say like, hey, you know what? Before What's I really- the purpose of it? Yeah. Yeah. Before I start to tear down the traditions of my ancestors, I should really think about why is this here? Yeah. Well said. Uh, and chapter 23 of Proverbs, uh, I highlighted this passage in this portion specifically because it actually counters the hiccupiness of Proverbs. Um, and so I think it's kind of fun that just shows the, the, the variety that you'll read as you're reading through Proverbs. This is this, uh, verses 29 to 35. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? These are all questions. Who has conflicts? Who has complaints? Who has wounds for no reason? Who has red eyes? Uh, I did the other night because I was tired. Uh, but it says this, those who linger over wine, those who go, who go looking for mixed wine, don't gaze at wine because it is red, because it gleams in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and you will say absurd things. You'll be like someone sleeping out at sea or lying down on top of a ship's mast. They struck me, but I feel no pain. They beat me, but I didn't know it. When will I wake up? I'll look for another drink. Um, and so it's, I mean, the, the, the whole point of this passage is this, the idea of the folly of drunkenness. Um, and, and I'm not here to preach or get on a soapbox, uh, but there is something to be said about like who is well, who is sorrows, who is conflicts, who is complaints. Oftentimes there's a reason why we start pursuing uh, a bottle or uh, wine or alcohol, or whatever. Uh, but it's just folly to be drunk. You won't, I mean, you, you don't, you're not coherent. And I'll even hit this a little bit later. Um, and I think it's uh, in, in the coming weeks, Proverbs talks about it again. Um, but really, I just thought it was interesting and, and, and a fun way to see a, a little bit of variety in the book of Proverbs, uh, as you read, not just a one line hiccup thing, but actually uh, a progressive thought. Um, chapter 24, we'll see a couple, highlight a couple verses of, and actually I'll say this real quick before I read it. The next three chapters, I actually take like the first verse or two, uh, things that highlight that I, that stood out to me that I just wanted to highlight. Um, so 24, one through two says this, be not envious of evil men nor desire to be with them for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. I've, I've heard it all the time as a kid. You are who you hang out with. Be mindful who you're surrounding yourself with. And Proverbs says it long, long ago be very careful who you're around because they will influence you um, and you will become more like them than they will become like you. So um, it's important to surround yourselves with the right people. Proverbs 25 verse two says this, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of Kings to, is to search things out. Um, and I highlighted this one because this is a proverb that I've hit and used a lot. I even think I've referenced it in previous podcasts. Um, and for me, there was always this, this arrogance that came with the kings who search things out because God conceals things for a reason. Uh, but even as I was reading it, it, just the other side of the conversation struck me. Um, so on one hand, I look at it from a, a, a person pursuing knowledge for the base of uh, my glory, right? Um, for their pride to be built up. Uh, and so that's one layer too, where there's arrogance in this statement where sometimes God will conceal things and we won't have answers to it. And we can pursue, pursue, pursue. But the reason why we're pursuing is because we're looking to build our own arrogance and our own, our own, mm -hmm. our own um, repertoire. We're trying to build a resume and learning things. But the other side of this is that even as I was reading it again, is there's something to be said about God concealing things. And for the glory of him, there's also glory back to him as the kings search it out to learn more. Um, so there's a pursuit of knowledge that's really healthy and, and necessary as people, um, but when it leads to arrogance, that's where it becomes a problem. There's a, a lot, I think it's John Piper who talks about the, and it's an older quote, but I just, I've, I've read it in books that he writes, but the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy his creation. And so I think there, like God created us to want to explore. Like yeah. I love, like he, he, cause he could have put in the Bible, like, Hey, by the way, go sail West, 
There's yeah, right. <laughs> there's some cool stuff over there. Um, but it was it, it is this really cool thing where just like over years and generations, people began to explore more. And now, like, you know, what do we dream of? Well, we dream of space. Like, mm-hmm. we want to go, like, let's put people on Mars. Like, let's see what's beyond our solar system. Like, that's not just like that's a desire that God put in our hearts to want to yeah. explore his creation and he's and to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And he's he's glorified in us exploring that which he has created. Yes. Yeah. And I think in the other side of the conversation, right, it's this idea of like knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's that tension of what's the end result. And oftentimes there is this innate God-given desire to go explore, to go learn, to go search things out. Um, but if it becomes an end in themselves or becomes about themselves, that's where we miss it because of the, mm-hmm. again, the glory of God. So, um, so that was a really fun, even for me as I'm and like, I, I've always viewed that and read that proverb in that line in, in chapter 25 from the filter of arrogance and pridefulness and just trusting God who's concealing things, but also being reminded like, but it's also worth pursuing to understand. So I thought that was really cool. Um, in 26, verse one, this is, I used to say this as a kid, like my favorite, like the absolute most perfect weather in all the world would be exactly what Proverbs calls foolish. So it says this, uh, like snow in summer or rain in harvest. So honor is not fitting for a fool. Uh, and so I, I, I love the, the the picture there because I also am a visual at times. Um, but I used to always say as a kid, I think my absolute most favorite weather, if I could have it, would be a very hot day in the summer with a nice cold snow. Oh. And because of the contrast, because I love snow, I love playing in it, but I don't like how cold you get. I love the summer, but I don't always like how hot you get. And so put the two together, it could be a perfect thing. I feel like Olaf from Frozen. Um, Finally do what Frozen things do in summer. (laughs) I'm going to tell him, don't you dare. Anyways, um, so I just thought, but the idea of honor is not fitting for a fool. And I say this really, really carefully. The world we live in attributes honor to some very foolish people. And what? <laughs> shots fired. Um, but I think it, it is this picture of these things don't go together. Snow and summer doesn't go together. Rain during harvest doesn't go together. Um, and when we put honor and we attribute honor to fools, I mean, I, again, not to shout her out again, but Heather spoke a message last year, I think it was, um, that was very profound coming right after the Super Bowl. Um, and again, it's this picture of where are we attributing honor? to people who are not, this sounds really bad and judgmental, but who are not worthy of that honor. So um, they just don't fit. And so that's that's probably where we're end, like Proverbs, we're gonna read through 26 and be done with it. But yeah, the passage makes me think of, uh, Ashley and I, we went to Yellowstone two summers ago. And I remember one of the weirdest feelings was when you're by the hot springs. So it's kind of a cold day and the wind starts to blow, but literally it's like cold air, super hot air, colder because it's blowing. So you get the cold air of the wind, but then you're also getting the heat from the hot springs and they're both kind of hitting you one after the other. And I remember I remarked about how it's super cool, but like, it's like, this just feels wrong. Like this doesn't, this isn't the way it's supposed (laughs) to be. This doesn't belong. Right. And that's what I think that's what this passage is. It's like, like when you see like honor, uh, a fool being honored, it's just kind of like, this doesn't feel, this feels off. This isn't like, you know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And it's hard. And I think as Christians from a biblical worldview, um, where we we trust the authority um, given to the authors of scripture, we we have to wrestle with that tension and we have to understand like there's things that are honored that are foolish in our world today. And our our understanding of God's kingdom is is counter to that. And so we've got to be very now it doesn't mean that we call people out and we make this big hoopla and we're standing and picketing and doing all these things because that's not what what Christ modeled for us. 
Um, but I think there is this tension about how do we honor what needs to be honored um, and not judge the foolish mm-hmm. um, because I think that's another layer to it. So this could be a whole big conversation, but yeah, it's things don't belong together. Well, before we wrap up, we're going to jump into our question that we got this week. And so this one, I got to say, this is, this is a great catch. Yeah, it was a great question. (laughs) I I never thought about this before. Um, So super quick Easter themed Leviticus question. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowds waved palm branches. Was this effectively a wave offering? I never appreciated it before uh, or never appreciated before that it was more than just the crowd's words that highlighted Jesus's deity. Um, So... Here's what's crazy about well, this. Well, well, it's, well caught. Yeah, well caught. Great catch because this is probably the most obscure offering that we get in the old. I completely mm-hmm. just glanced over this when we were reading uh, through Exodus and Leviticus. And even when I went to go look this up, like I, my big reference books and stuff, I would look up wave offering and they would say, see offerings. Like, okay. So I went to offerings and I never talked about it. Like it's such an obscure <laughs> thing that like, even like I had to like go uh, like straight to the passages. I'm trying to like, trying to look it up and bring them together. So here's a couple. Uh, In Exodus, it says, you shall put these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. And then in Leviticus, we get uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever offers the sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hand shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast and the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. So it's this kind of, it's this idea that we get particularly really early old covenant because I I didn't see it being used much past the Pentateuch but kind of just waving things before the Lord in a ceremonial way before they are offered up in a different way. Um, so I think it's really interesting. I don't, I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison because I don't think the, the waving palm branches are the offering that's being made to Christ. But I do think it is very indicative at least of that because that the waving is a way of signifying that this is for the Lord. This is a sacrifice to God. And in a similar way, the waving of the palm branches as Christ enters into Jerusalem is a way of foreshadowing that he is a sacrifice to God as well. So I don't think that's necessarily exactly what's going on there, but mm-hmm. it's a great catch. And yeah. I love it does it like you said, it does add um it adds some more to that scene than what was already there. So yeah. that's yeah, that's one of the fun things about the Old Testament is the more you understand it, the more it is able to kind of breathe even more life into the New Testament and help you understand things that uh, you wouldn't have been able to understand otherwise. Yep. No, and I and I don't I, I agree too. And I also think there's also more going on there too in that passage where, uh, as Jesus is arriving, um, and I've heard this say different times, like the palm the palm fronds, the palm leaves, so to speak. That that's that's actually also the the Jerusalem like that's there it's like our flag is what it is. Like our American flag is, is there like their palm fronds as well. That's what symbolizes their nation, their people. Um, and so part of it is like, I, I guess <clears throat> not to be overly simplistic with this, um, but it's almost as if they're waving their flags, celebrating the, the Jesus on the back of a donkey. But then there's also the symbol symbolism of them laying it down. Um, if you were to lay the American flag on the ground right now, you'd actually have a lot of heat. Like people would fire back because they're not supposed to. The and, flag and should not touch the because you're supposed to burn it. Yes. So um, little pun. Pun intended, not really. But so there is something to be said, like the, the laying it on the ground is actually disrespectful. Um, 
but in the in the in the New Testament when this is happening, there is this this surrender, the symbolism of laying down their rights as a nation in light of you know the submission to the authority of the Messiah. And so there is this layer that there as well. But the wave offering thing that was a I mean it's it's a really a brilliant piece um, of again I agree it's not a one to one comparison, but it is um, it is something to be said about man. There's recognition of what's happening here. Is symbolic and worshipful and incredible, and so uh, I love that. That because I, I agree, I've I've read over it and passed over it all the time. So pass over. Well done. I give you a, a golf clap. Another pun. So. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find out all of our find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, and. Easter Sunday, or sorry, the week of Easter, the week after Easter, we'll be launching our second podcast. Can't quite say what it is yet, but stay tuned. It'll be really, it'll be fun. I'm excited for it. Something new we're trying. Exactly. Also, uh, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right hand corner. But hey, thanks for listening. Have a great day.